Another Way to Play, episode 23. Hey, this is Broderick Smith with Silent Water Real Estate. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my cousin, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Uh, Today's guest is someone who's really, really special to me. It's my cousin, uh, Broderick Smith. Uh, For the last 13 years, he was the vice president at Urban Visions, which is a commercial real estate firm, and he oversaw the firm's diverse portfolio of assets and understands things like a building's function, operation, and financial standpoint, as well as the real estate entitlement development and management process. Uh, One of the biggest reasons why I'm bringing him on today, though, is because he recently uh, relocated his family just outside of Boise, Idaho, so about 12 hours due east of Seattle, where he's now uh, pursuing his own venture, called uh, Silent Water Real Estate, uh, which is pursuing opportunistic investments and developments in the Mountain West region. But ultimately, the reason he made that leap was for personal reasons. Uh, And we get into that in the show today. Uh, One of his biggest aha moments or the reason that he moved out east and decided to actually relocate away from the big city and out of the normal nine to five that he was doing It was because he had, on a way to a fly fishing trip, was listening to an NPR podcast about uh, people on their deathbeds. And he tells the story of um, how that really resonated with him, which basically people were living with some regret of not doing something. And that really resonated with him for a couple of years. And ultimately, he and his wife, Holly, decided that they needed to to go explore what else was out there in the world. So uh, he tells that story, uh, didn't about not wanting to feel trapped, not wanting to have regret, and not wanting to miss his kids' lives, which is really hugely powerful, in my opinion, and quite inspirational, personally. He also has some incredibly great advice around getting uncomfortable and looking forward uh, to what you want your life to be and doing sort of a planning exercise, so uh, listen for that. And then he also brings up something that kind of runs through this entire uh, conversation about the theory of compounding time. So make sure you perk your ears up when that comes on, because I think that's a really valuable concept to understand and digest. Uh, So before we get into that, as always, I would love to connect with you personally. Uh, I'd love to have you on my calendar. So if uh, you're down in the show notes and you want to connect with me, uh, go ahead and click on my Calendly link. Let's get connected. Let's have a chat and a conversation so that we can both learn from each other. I can hopefully understand how to make this podcast better and keep bringing quality, awesome content to you uh, as the listener. So really looking forward to hearing from you. And until then, enjoy this conversation with my cousin, Broderick Smith. Broderick, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. It's a real pleasure and honor to have you, especially as a family member on the show. Hey, you got it, Hans. Thanks for having me on the show. Excited. 
is great. Awesome. Well, um, given the intro and kind of given the audience a little bit of background on you, but why don't you build us a little bit more context and tell us kind of where your journey began? Yeah, I grew up outside of Seattle, Washington. I was um, really cool experience. My family grew up um, about 30 minutes outside of Seattle. At the time, it was considered really the, the burbs, lots of woods, and spent most of my time outside in the woods with my sister growing up. And I, um, I got to go to a really cool private school for a lot of my life. It was actually on a farm, about 60 acres. And rode a metro bus about 30 minutes to and from campus each day. And uh, it's a really cool experience. Prepared me well, I think, for uh, college and my career in general. Right on. Um, and, you know, you really stepped into a pretty serious role in the Seattle real estate scene, obviously, um, through our family connection as a big influence in that. Can you sort of expand on, you know, where, where that took you out of college and, and how it got you into Sun Valley ultimately? Yeah, absolutely. So let's see, I think I graduated high school in 2002 and, um, I, I, I liked high school. I always did really well in school, which is great, um, but I didn't love uh, high school. I, I lost really, I lost interest in around ninth grade, and I still did well, but I didn't apply myself to certain areas, and for instance, history. But I knew I wanted to get out and do something business-wise, like my dad. College was different because um, I went to Santa Clara University and I got into the finance program, and I realized, whoa, this is pretty cool. This interests me. Business school finally, it's here. You know, I skipped a lot of class. Actually, don't tell my boys, but uh, history <laughs> and, and things like that. I was like, look, I'm here for my business uh, program. I got a nice liberal arts education at Overlake. Um, but, you know, I really focused on the finance program and had a good GPA and got that finance degree and I was ready to uh, enter the real world. And as you mentioned, my dad, Greg, um, was in the real estate investment development arena. And I, I honestly was going to go try to get into the tech world. And, you know, it was around 2004. A lot of my friends in my fraternity were getting picked off by Facebook and Google at the time. And, you know, I'm probably an idiot in some regards for not going that direction because I can tell you they're doing very, 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 very well now, given the time. Um, but, you know, I picked real estate and I am so happy I did. I started working with my dad uh, immediately out of college when I graduated. As a property manager in that role, evolved into um, financial analysis role and eventually is promoted to vice president, about 11 of us. And we had such a ball, right? A little company called Amazon, a bookstore we all know, um, just took over the Seattle market and it, it really boomed. So we developed, um, I think a million square feet of space and entitled another couple million square feet. And uh, I, I had the time of my life so fortunate for the experience and uh, I had no complaints about it whatsoever. Man, that that's really cool. Cause I remember growing up in Seattle and uh, South Lake Union specifically, is, which is just Amazon headquarters now, was not the place that you wanted to be, but you really had a hand in sort of seeing it transition from what it was to this unbelievable, almost unrecognizable portion of, of the Seattle skyline. Oh, it, right out of college, uh, we all moved over to the South Lake Union East Lake because it was very affordable. I think I was paying $700 a month for rent. I lived with my uh, best buddy, Toby, and we um, you know, we'd go out and there's some great dive bars in South Lake Union. There was not a single high rise around there. And, uh, it's so funny to go on Google earth right now. And, uh, you go on their little time-lapse and throw the slide back to, you know, 2006 and you go, Oh my God, it's just amazing. The transformation that happened. So yeah, I feel fortunate to have been the right place at the right time, have that experience and be part of it. So, 
you, you, by all accounts on sort of externally, you've got this really cool experience seeing a city like Seattle transition, having a big part of that relative to, you know, the million square feet of entitlements and the other million of development. Like, you know, so what changed for you ultimately? And, and talk to us about your transition from that to moving out to Sun Valley, which is quite different. Um, okay. There's a, there's a couple of things. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, well, when Holly and I started to have kids, uh, my whole perspective on life changed like literally instantly. And it's something really, I, I don't, I don't know how to explain it to anyone unless they've had kids themselves. You just, I, you can't be selfish anymore and you can't just live for yourself anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so kids changed me somehow. I'm not sure how, but I really remember the moment I had an aha and that was driving over Snoqualmie Pass. I was heading to Eastern Washington to go fishing. And I love podcasts and driving over that I-90 um, Greenway is just amazing. So it's a good time to think. There was an NPR podcast. I think it was NPR. But I was listening to an interview with folks who were basically on their deathbeds. And it was kind of morbid if you think about it. But the question was, what, uh, what did you do in your life that you regret? Literally every single person said, I regret not doing this. I regret not doing this. That really stuck with me that night and that weekend and for the next year and the next two years. I felt like for a couple of years now, I was actually in the movie Groundhog's Day. Um, it probably would date some of your listeners, but basically Bill Murray's in a, stuck in a time loop and he keeps waking mm-hmm. up, living the same day over and over. And I just didn't want to be Bill Murray stuck in that cycle, waking up 30 years later, my kids are gone. But here I was, I'm busting my, uh, busting my butt 12 hours a day, plus seeing my kids for less than 30 minutes a day, eating dinner with Holly by eight and crashing so I could do it again. I wasn't sleeping much. My blood pressure was actually really high uh, and I was really feeling trapped. We had our third boy. I knew I had to do something or I was going to wake up in 12 years with uh, a big regret. So um, Holly and I talked. We put a date down. We listed our house for sale. Um, it, was, it was pretty crazy. I just realized money couldn't buy me the family time. Um, and you can't take it with you. So I think that was really the transition. At the same time, Seattle has really changed. It's kind of unfortunate, but um, I don't really like the state of downtown right now for a bunch of reasons. And it wasn't where I wanted my boys to be. Mm-hmm. So we thought, you know, where, where would I want to be? And uh, Sun Valley was a place that really aligned with my values. And I thought, let's try it. Why not? So we sold our house. We literally packed a U-Haul up and drove over here without a place. So it was crazy. I think Holly, Holly thought I was nuts. A lot of my friends thought I was nuts. A lot of Holly's friends thought she was nuts because she was part of this decision. But uh, we have no regrets. It's, it's super cool. I mean, I like I told you before we started recording, like I really respect the decision and I I've been really mulling on it since the first day I heard you were doing it over just over a year ago now. And I obviously we connected again over at our family reunion back in August and it, it really sort of resonated with me of like, there are so many different ways to pursue happiness and pursue freedom other than just climbing a corporate ladder. And that's obviously a big theme in this podcast um, relative to your friends and some of your colleagues and whoever else was sort of calling you nuts at the time. Um, what do you think ultimately broke you away from that line of thinking and, and into something that was more aligned with what you and Holly wanted to do? It's a really good question. Growing up, I, I grew up in a, I, I had a great experience, right? Really had no barriers. My parents were there for my sister and I and really fostered us and, Everything we needed was there. We got a great education. And I just loved being with my family and my sister. And um, 
my mom and dad and respected the family. And I wanted my three boys to have that experience uh, with Holly and I. So they weren't going to get that uh, where I was at in Seattle with my career. You know, he's 35. Um, I'm now old, I realize. So um, <laughs> I think that was, that was just really important. I just realized what are my values? I like being outside. I like being with my family. Um, and I thought Idaho was a really interesting place. It's booming. There's a lot of opportunity here. So we circled it on a map and Holly and I would sit there and talk about it at night and realize it's the spot. Man, that's really cool. So, so there was a combination of like thoughtful influence as far as, um, you know, breaking down like what is happiness and what is freedom to us as far as, you know, we want to be outside we want to have family time and going back to uh, then just ultimately taking that risk and taking the leap and, and giving it a shot because you packed the U-Haul, as you said, with no real landing spot other than a circle on a map. Yeah, it was, uh, it was nuts thinking about it. It was, it was stressful. I mean, we're obviously, it was fun being here, but we were stressed out for about a week or two figuring out where we're going to live. Um, but we found, a, we found a rental pretty quick and uh, moved in and things started to settle down. Was there a time that you got out there and you were like, oh, this was a mistake? Or have you just been pumped from the moment you arrived? Um, yeah, no, there were, yeah, I can pre-move um, and pre-leaving uh, the company I had. I can't tell you how many sleepless nights I had because it's a really big decision to pivot left that hard or right, or, you know, whichever direction I went. Um, so, Yes, before, tons of sleepless nights. And then once I got here, there were some times where I'm going, what the heck am I doing? Right? I had a, an amazing career, really cool opportunity, right, to be part of this family business with my dad. Mm -hmm. And um, to leave that, I had to put, I don't know how many hours of time into that. So, uh, but all totally. that said, I think you really have to think about, you know, your decisions. And I thought about it. Uh, this is what I decided was best for our family. It's, it's awesome because in the, just the last 10 minutes we've been talking, you've been suggesting, you know, going back to the core of the family and you had this great family upbringing and you wanted to provide that for your three boys, which I think is maybe rare these days just to have that sort of forward thinking, like what is the next 10 or 20 years going to be like if I don't change? And I, I can totally relate to that relative to my Olympic pursuit because I thought about myself as 40, you know, physically just not being able to, to perform anymore and wondering, like, if I stop now, would that 40-year-old version of myself be okay with, with what I got out of the sport and helping that ha or having that make the decision for me? And it sounds like you sort of thought forward and thought like if I go 12 more years on this path you know where are we going to be and am I going to be happy about it and it turns out the answer was no so you did something about it exactly and I think that's the hardest thing for people to do is to do something because it's really a, an uncomfortable feeling but I think I think it's good to put yourself in uncomfortable situations yeah it, I, that's my number one recommendation to people is really put yourself in uncomfortable situations that's when you learn and look if you if you do something you make a mistake you can always you know cut left again or go back I think and that is like that is sort of the funny like safety ripcord right like you can always move back to seattle you've got a huge level of skills you've got a network there you've got whatever you've got and you guys could probably plug back in if you wanted to tomorrow pretty quickly um so relative to like making these these jumps i imagine people have asked you about it since it's been just over a year now like what what do you tell them about um 
potentially making a, a move or a big lifestyle shift and, and how to like think through that um, so that it makes sense for them? Um, I would say, uh, here's my recommendation. I, I'd say uh, map out your life, right? I think that's such an important exercise and that's what I really started doing. So sit down and you think about the next 12 months, uh, take a weekend and assess your life, write it down. What do you like? What don't you like? Um, use one note. There's actually a bunch of templates out there you can do. I came across a cool template that helped me start to map things out. Um, and so I said, what do I love? What don't I love? Who's most important to me? I really dove into my career, which I love and love the industry. Um, but it felt really good to map out my life. And I think it helped me um, see clarity. And I think it can help other people as a tool. And then you can revisit that tool you know, over the next few weeks, months, and years and use it as a guide or foundation when you're feeling stuck because everyone gets into that place. You're in a rut, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but my most important maybe piece of advice is if you don't like what you're doing or where you are, don't get stuck in that rut and keep doing the same thing over and over. Uh, Cause that's just, that's insane, right? You know, pull right. the ripcord if you need to and bail. Um, do you want to be on your deathbed with regrets? That is my biggest fear in life. It really creeps me out. Yeah. I'm um, just like you and your pursuit, right? To go to the Olympics and you did it set a goal and go for just go for it right life's too short totally yeah fear and regret is it's like we talk about this in sales all the time like the the fear of of lack or the fear of losing is is sometimes greater than the desire for gain and and using that as sort of a sales tactic which can be sort of slimy in some ways, but can also be very powerful to help someone make a decision is kind of what you're suggesting is really think forward of, you know, what might you lose if you don't do this as well as what might you gain by doing this? hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. As far as like making this decision, did, did you seek the counsel of, of other people like mentors in your life or, or did you, did, was it just kind of you and Holly staying internal and, and making a decision with within your own little uh, family unit how did how did you go about this um it was really holly and i holly and myself making the decision because a lot of people thought we're nuts and so and you know maybe we are we still could be right but we're happy so um holly and i kept it to ourselves. we started to once we set the date we started to tell people once we knew we were going to do it you know i had to do a lot of planning with this i, I decided about a year before i moved mm-hmm. um and uh, we set the day to talk to my family, talk to my dad, especially given the, the office and uh, what we had going on to plan. Um, but ultimately, I, um, I did not have a mentor in this regard. Uh, it was Holly and I. It's crazy because I think there's so much advice about get a mentor, um, go out and, you know, find someone who's doing what you've done. And you guys sort of took a different route and, and went somewhat blindly forward and, and just decided, like, what do we want? And I think, and clearly you, you pursued that and went for it in, in that pursuit, did anything with your professional career or your, your pursuits professionally change drastically relative to like your definitions of success in a career? Absolutely. I would say I got stuck in a kind of a rut for a while where I just was really focused on uh, money to tell you the truth. And that's good. Right. And I do think that can bring you freedom, but I think, Life's short, so you really got to take care of yourself mentally and physically, and I was not doing that. Uh, I'd say rough 2012 to 2018, I was burning the midnight oil 12-hour days, and I uh, wasn't getting any sleep, and I really wasn't happy. Right? I had three boys. The sleep I did get just sucked. And I was kind of frustrated, to tell you the truth, in Seattle for a variety of reasons, um, and it was just a horrible feeling that 
clouded my conscious. So I, I decided, hey, financially, um, I've had a time of huge success. Super thankful and glad I put in the hours. It paid off. Um, but towards the end, with my growing family, being tired and frustrated, I really wasn't present with them when I was uh, hanging out. And the same with my friends. I just wasn't present mentally. So that success. So I kind of took myself and redefined success, making sure I didn't define it merely from a financial standpoint, because I was doing that for a while. And it was just the wrong approach for me. Uh, ultimately, why I made this drastic move. I didn't want to be 80. My body's falling apart. And, um, I ha you know, I have a bunch of money saved up, but um, I can't go buy the family time and things like that. It's gone. So mm -hmm. I re I reshifted my think. And it sounds like having a reshift around that money and sort of having that spoke of your wheel, for example, being quite robust, but the others being pretty lackluster and you, you've taken some of the focus and, and put it towards some of those time and that, that presence and you know, family time and outdoors time and all that sort of thing and really created a more rounded approach to it. Yeah, actually, absolutely. I'm not going to, you know, I, I put in, uh, I think I'm a really big believer in like you know, the theory of compounding interest. I believe there's also the theory of compounding time. Hmm. And so I would say put in the hours early in your career and they'll pay off in droves later on, but don't burn yourself out. And there is a time when I think one should step back and focus on other things. And so, yeah, that's family for me at this time. And, you know, when my kids, uh, kids are gone or they're older, uh, I still love working. It's one of my favorite hobbies. I love real estate and, uh, I plan to continue at that game and I'll step it up again, but, uh, don't be scared to do it earlier in your career than later. If you, if you have the uh, opportunity. Can you go that theory of compounding time? I think that is super fascinating because I think I understand it. But can you can you unpack that just a little bit more? Um, what you mean by that? Yeah. So if you if you put in good quality time early, I think that hour that extra hour that you work when you're 22 versus 42, I think you're going to get a lot out of that extra hour for those next 20 years. Mm -hmm. So if you do that over and over, it, you know, say. Say person A and person B both work, you know, for the next five years, say they're 22, 23, 24 at their firm. And uh, look, you don't have kids yet and you still have time to uh, time to burn, you know, work hard. Right. Because um, if you looked at another person who doesn't, I think if you put another two or three hours in a day, call it 10 or 20 hours a week, who knows, uh, for a couple of years, it will pay off in droves over the next 10 years. Just as you, mm -hmm. you invested a dollar 10 years ago, it could be worth $5 now, right? Right. It's just that it, it, it's, uh, it's not wasted time. It's an investment. I think, I think if you work hard early, it's an investment in your future. To what point do you, I mean, obviously, I, I'll caveat this with saying it's, it's a pretty personal decision, but um, at what point do you find that that investment of time maybe has a negative return or do you think that at all? Uh, no, it, it it started to have a negative return for me. I think I'm kind of a believer in the you don't do something. Um, I'd say it this way: ten years before you're an expert. And you know, I think uh, a guiding principle from my dad was always, you know, you don't know anything about real estate until you're five years in, then you start to know something. Mm -hmm. So really hit it hard those first five years. Whatever you're doing, just hit it hard and keep hitting it hard, right? But make sure to assess and look. And so for me, it was about you know year twelve, thirteen. Um, I said, okay, I put in my time and uh, I'm going to reorganize my life. And that was the help of that guide. I wrote things down what's important. It was helpful for me to write things down when I was clear in the mind because I could use that 
I could put any bias or an emotion to the side if I was feeling frustrated and, and really look at that. Mm-hmm. And that's where I wanted to go. And I kind of created a map. There's, there's a few things in here that I, I think are fantastic. One is um, that five-year principle. I, I think that's a nice way to quantify it because I, I will say that I'm in your, you know, entering year three of my professional career and I'm starting to get a little bit of knowledge, but I, I think that another two will, will catapult me in a, in a very different trajectory as far as just my knowledge base. But it, it hits on this concept of there's sort of a minimum amount of time that things take. Like I've used the analogy on this podcast before about uh, a world championship marathon. I think you know, two hours or thereabouts, I should actually look this up to find out what the world record marathon is. But, you know, to run a marathon really, really fast, it still takes about two hours. And for the rest of us, it's three, four, five, whatever it is. So there's like a minimum amount of effort you have to put in to be good at something and to win at something. And you're suggesting that might be five years and then maybe it's another five on top of that. But there's sort of this minimum requirement of effort to to gain some level of mastery at something before you can then go sort of reap the rewards and the benefits of the hard work that you've put in. Yeah, I, I, I would say after year five, it was, for me, it was like year seven, things start to come naturally, right? They're second nature. So you go into a meeting, you just know what to do or say, or if you have to make a really tough decision, you know, you have confidence in your decision mm-hmm. and it feels really good. And that's when you become lethal. Mm-hmm. In, your, in whatever profession, in whatever profession you're pursuing. That's awesome, man. I, you know, I think that was the best advice my dad ever gave me. You don't know anything until five years. And even after that, keep going. So I found about year 10, I was like, wow, okay, pretty good at this now. Um, I feel really comfortable at least. That's yeah. I, and I find that to be probably very accurate because I, I think there's a lot of that 10,000 hour rule or roughly 10 years of, of experience or dedicated practice makes you a master. I think that's, that's pretty accurate. Um, even sort of, I don't know how everyone feels about the 10 hour or 10,000 hour rule, but it sort of lines up with what you're suggesting. Yeah. I, and I've read about that a bunch and I could see the pros and cons, but in my experience, I, I found it to be somewhat applicable. On that note, like if someone's starting out and they're in their first five years and they don't know much, or they're just getting the basics down, um, you know, they, they're trying to be sort of persistent. And we talked about this before we hit record. Um, I have a question about persistence versus pestering and, and you sort of brought it up and I'm, I'm wondering if you have a thought on uh, that, you know, what is the line between persistent and pestering if you're, especially if you're in your first five years and you quote unquote don't know anything, um, where do you, where does, where does that sort of come into play relative to this, this journey of mastery for you? Yeah. Uh, well, and I, by the way, I still am not a master by any means. And I think, that's part of the fun um, of my industry. Is, totally. There's so much to it, right? But, but I think persistence versus pestry, I'd say don't let your persistence blind you. You know, keep your emotional intelligence open. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I was thinking about that in the, pers- the context of people who used to call the firm and want to meet, you know, straight out of college. I always enjoyed the persistent individual who'd follow up from a meeting with a written thank you card, emailed me to touch base and call. Um, I did not appreciate you know, folks who might call too much and didn't seem to respect time, blast you with a templatized email. Um, so I'd say listen to your audience. Like I said, have the emotional intelligence. Um, because if you don't listen, the persistence can uh, become a real negative and I think hurt you. That said, it's super important. So just be really thoughtful with your persistence. Totally. Like seek to, seek to understand, not to 
be understood, right? Like that's, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I think. And that's so hard. <laughs> that's so hard. Cause I think we all, we all, especially when we're starting out, we want to prove that we're, we're good enough and we can get a seat at the table and we can say something smart or whatever. But I, one of my mentors who's helping me with this podcast, Travis Chapel, always talks about adding value in whatever relationship you're trying to build, whether that's get a job or get a podcast guest on or whatever. Like, how can you try and add at least some value to that person, even if you don't have money and experience and all this sort of thing? Like, there's always a way to to be um, persistent, be respected, like you said, with the thank you card and the, you know, the courteous email or the thoughtful this or that, as opposed to the templated spam every two weeks until, you know, someone buys or dies. Exactly. A hundred percent agree. Just be really thoughtful. And, it, and it's fun to watch the people who are really persistent and uh, who I noticed were thoughtful and where they're at now. It, it, it always seems to pay off. Why do you think that is? Because I think people want to, on the other side of the table, want to feel respected. And if they, if they can see somebody who's thoughtful and respects them, I don't know if, I don't know why if it's human nature, but you seem to bond with them better and then open, maybe open your door and um, introduce them to other people or opportunities because you feel comfortable knowing that's how the person functions. You know, I, brokers, cold calling, right. There's, there's different styles and strategies and, you know, it take, it can take five, 10, 20, 20 hits on something right before uh, something comes of it. If you're, if you're looking at an opportunity, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just the ones that are thoughtful, unique, different, they approach it differently. Those are the ones that stand out and um, they get a seat at the table somehow. Interesting. So, so it comes back to that um, sort of providing value and being, being someone who is valuable rather than just you're, you're constantly there kind of obnoxious and people know your name, but maybe not in a positive way. Exactly. Uh, well, transitioning a little bit toward, cause we're getting sort of towards the end of our time and I want to respect your family time as well as whatever work you got to do today. So a couple questions about looking back since you started in the real estate industry 13 years ago, like if you could sort of take a sticky note and write something on it and hand it to your younger self, say when you were first starting out, uh, what might you write on that? That's a great question. Um, let me think about that. Hmm. I would say if I was, if I was starting out, I would have mapped my life out earlier. Mm. I, I couldn't have fit that on a sticky note, mm-hmm. but I would, I would have mapped my life out earlier and my goals and really reviewed them more often and created kind of a, you know, a weekly sit down and, and look, where am I at? Am I, am I on my path? Am I off path? Why am I off path? Or what am I doing? That's leading, you know, that's pushing me forward and faster. Um, so I really, I'm, I'm kind of a believer in that exercise. I think it was super helpful. Um, and you know, I, I would say do not procrastinate if, if when it comes to unhappiness. So if something's making you unhappy, pull the ripcord, identify it and deal with it. Don't, mm. don't have it lingering inside because I think that can cloud your, your judgment and it can be kind of a block, um, to your, uh, to moving forward. Totally. I mean, I, I was scrolling through Instagram this morning and saw a quote from Barbara Corcoran that said basically that, which was like face what's uncomfortable immediately because if you, uh, if you let it linger, it'll just grow and get worse and worse and harder and harder. And I, it's, it's easy to throw up on an Instagram meme, but it's, and it's a lot harder to do. But I, I totally agree that there's some, if you 
can sort of take the take the bull by the horns, so to speak, and just deal with it and, and wrestle with it, even if it's uncomfortable. That's usually when the beauty of life happens and some really cool stuff comes out of it. Yeah, I always enjoyed putting myself in uncomfortable situations and I did not enjoy putting myself and I enjoyed them after. And say there's something like public speaking, if you do it a couple of times, it starts, uh, it doesn't bother you as much, right? That's just mm-hmm. one example. So I'd say throw yourself into uncomfortable situations as much as possible. That's where you're going to learn the most. Totally agree. I, when I was doing that flip last summer, I was very uncomfortable because we were writing a lot of checks and like kind of crossed our fingers that we were doing the right thing on this house. And it eventually paid off. And in retrospect, I wouldn't change because it made me a better business person, a better agent, a better sort of understander of the real estate market and all of that. But at the time it was painful. <laughs> and I, I bet you learned a ton. I mean, that's so cool. You did totally. that. I, I, so if I'm going back to my sticky note, if you're, you know, 20, age 22 to 35, take risk. Mm. Take calculated risk, but take those risks. Put yourself in a comfortable situation because if you fail, you're still young enough that you can, you can get up and um, keep going, right? And recover. And that, I think when you're 22 to 35, that's the time to take risks. Totally. And, and if you take those risks, that goes back to your theory of compounding time. Like those lessons will then compound over your remaining, your next 10 years in your workforce. And that will potentially, you know, catapult you well beyond your peers because of those risks and, and the lessons learned. Yeah. And if you fail, learn, why did I fail? Right. And apply it to the next, uh, the next endeavor. And hopefully there's some value. There should be some value. Everyone is so afraid because I, I am in a lot of forums and I talk to a lot of people who want to get into their first real estate investment and talk to me about like how to buy it and how to like find it and all that stuff because I've now done one of these and I'm an agent and I come across these people and just getting in to the first deal, whether you make a ton of money or you, or you break even like beyond sort of the profit and loss of it, it's like the, the education is just beyond valuable that you will do whatever you do on the first one. It's probably not going to make you rich either way. So you may as well learn as much as you can and then apply that to whatever the next handful are and, and be better at those. Absolutely. Absolutely. Broderick, you've really brought some really great insights. You've, you've, you're definitely someone I respect who for both just your business career, but also what you're doing and taking your life under your own circumstances and deciding how to live it. Um, and I'm really excited to transition here and hear your uh, answers to the focus five, which is the last five questions I ask every guest on every show. And uh, are you ready for those questions? Sure. Awesome. So first question is what book have you gifted most recently? Um, I've actually sent this book to a couple people. It's by Howard Marks who runs Oak tree capital. And for those who, who don't know, he actually, he writes um, kind of a, a memo or a thought letter, releases them about monthly. They're amazing. I mean, the, the guy is an amazing person. He can really break, break down complicated concepts um, about the world and the market. So highly recommend subscribing to that if, uh, if anyone doesn't already. The book, though, is Mastering the Market Cycle. I've given that to about five or six people, actually. That's a great one. It came out in 2018. Cool. That's going straight on my list for sure. Uh, If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask them as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Oh, gosh, I struggle with that one. I guess because I I really like investment and finance. Um, 
I would talk to Howard Marks or Ray Dalios. I just respect what they've done. They've, um, they've built these giant um, investment firms and I think it's fascinating what they've done. They've been kind of counter cyclical and walked their own paths and been very successful. So I just really like to uh, understand how they really separate that maybe cognitive bias from being really objective and looking at the data. Mm-hmm. And um, they've, they've, they've stuck to kind of those principles and it's made them very successful people. I find both of those people really fascinating. That's a really cool answer. A, a, lot, a couple of people have said, you know, Warren Buffett or whatever, but they haven't given an answer like that. And I, I appreciate what you just said. That was really cool. What is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I think early on work more than eight hour days. Mm. that's my two cents because I really do believe in that compounding time. So put the time in early. I think if you can put more than eight hours a day in at uh, whatever you're doing, do it. It's going to pay off. Totally. A lot of people think you should try to do less, but early on I would put that time in. Awesome. Uh, now that you're out in Sun Valley and you have three boys that are running like crazy all over the mountain, curious to hear what you have to say about this. So give us a glimpse of your morning routine and, and how you start your day. Uh, well, yeah, it's very, uh, it's radically different than my um, pre-move. But today I uh, usually wake up around six. I'm getting eight hours of sleep now, which is fantastic, or seven mm-hmm. to eight. I, I read the Wall Street Journal and The Economist and um, uh, love to digest all that information, try to figure out what's going on in the world. And uh, I eat breakfast with my family, which is so cool. Three little boys are just the stuff they ask me and tell me, you know, how are people made? And I realize they're talking about a gingerbread man and not people, which is great because I don't want to go into the birds and the bees, but uh, those kind of <laughs> questions are just so cool. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'll hop on the computer, get some work done, a meeting or two in the afternoon. Um, but I, I try to do something active every day, whether it's TRX or ski in the winter, yoga, fish, hike. That's kind of my routine right now. It's really cool. I'm doing the CFA. So I'm pursuing level two right now. So I start that up with uh, a lot of studying in the morning for that as well before everyone wakes up. And you're, you're starting a new venture now. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about that and, and what it is and then where we can learn more about it? Yeah. So trying to take uh, 13 years of experience in commercial real estate and still apply it. I don't want to give that up. I'm actually really passionate about it. It makes me happy. I think um, real estate is a really cool world to be in because it's everything from marketing to finance just place making in general is neat. So um, I started Silent Water Real Estate. We have zero deals. I have not done a single deal. Looking at a lot, maybe I'm a little contrarian, uh, trying to figure out where the world's at right now. But the goal is, you know, opportunistic investment in cool mountain towns, kind of the mountain west. So really interested in Boise, for example, the demographics and the growth there's unbelievable. Um, I think there's opportunity in Ketchum and Haley, just Sun Valley, the towns around here, because um, the opportunity to work remote. There are a lot of people my age moving here right now with families for the exact same reasons, uh, predominantly migrating from San Francisco and Seattle. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. So awesome. uh, I, hope to, uh, I, I hope to look at some uh, workforce housing, housing in general. Uh, I'd love to get into the commercial office again. There's not really a huge market in Boise, but uh, I think that will change. Fantastic, man. And then um, if what is the best place online that people can connect with you? LinkedIn is great. If you want to connect on LinkedIn, feel free to ping me. That's uh, probably my, my go-to right now. Right on. That's a great, a great place to network and learn about people. 
Agreed. Well, Broderick, uh, we will post your LinkedIn down in the show notes. So if anyone cares to uh, connect with you directly, that is the best place to do it. And thank you so much for being on here. You've, you've definitely uh, brought a lot of value today and some really cool advice that I'm really grateful for. And I'm, I'm sure the audience is too. So thank you very much for being, being part of the show. Yeah. Thank you, Hans. Love what you're doing and your story is great from rowing in the Olympics to getting into real estate and doing your flip. It's super fun to watch you. I'm excited. Awesome. Well, until next time, maybe, maybe once you get a couple of deals in it, we'll bring you back and see how, how the, the new venture and everything's going in Sun Valley. Yeah. I'd love to working on a couple interesting things. So hopefully they materialize knock on wood. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. And uh, until next time, we'll, we'll sign it off. Thanks, John. That does it for today's episode. I hope you guys really enjoyed that as much as I did. I think you can see why I brought my cousin Broderick on the show. Uh, He is a personal inspiration to me. Uh, Ever since I heard him do this move to Sun Valley, I've really been thinking about it myself and trying to figure out, you know, why he did it and how he did it more importantly. So I think you got a flavor for that. If you want to connect with him, uh, learn about what he's doing in the commercial real estate space out in Boise and the surrounding area, or you just want to hear about his move some more, go, go hit him up on LinkedIn. Um, I've got that linked in the show notes down below. And while you're down there, why don't you get on my calendar as well? Cause I'd love to connect with you personally, have a 15 minute chat and uh, get to know you find out what's resonating, what what you're enjoying, uh, how I can make this podcast better, what kind of guests we should bring on, what questions we should ask and the like. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to sign this thing off. So this is Hans Strazina, your host of Another Way to Play. And remember, make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play. Thank you.